Hello, I'm your host, Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN, and welcome to another episode of the Cloud 2030 podcast. Uh, this was a recording we did with Ian Ray of CloudOps, uh, one of my long-term friends and has been on the latest Shiny show in the past, uh, and he has not been participating in Cloud 2030 directly, and so we got to go through a lot of the topics we cover with Cloud 2030 with a fresh audience. This is a really good show if uh, you haven't had a chance to dig in or listen to some of the previous recordings and you just want to hear what's going on. Uh, Ian and I go through that, and towards the end of this podcast, we really get to the substance of this issue, the inflection points where the economics driving us faster and deeper into cloud collide with the challenges of customers and operators owning and, and influencing how their infrastructure is built. And that really becomes the crux of our discussion. So enjoy that part of the conversation. And if you are interested, please join us at the2030.cloud. We're having these types of conversations all the time, and I would love for you to join us. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, Ian, welcome to the Cloud 2030 podcast. You are our first official Cloud 2031 on one guest. So welcome. We're glad to have you. Can you give us some introduction? Just give us a little background. Yeah, thanks, Rob. I'm like super, super excited to, to be the first um, uh, this year. So uh, Ian Ray, I um, have been in the tech industry uh, uh, since, since the mid 90s, uh, where I got really obsessed with building infrastructure for the internet, which thank goodness we have the internet in a pandemic. Um, and that uh, led me to getting involved in tech startups of which I participated in uh, several large and small. And then uh, finally uh, uh, ended up starting a, a cloud services company called cloud ops, uh, focusing on helping customers not just chart their way and get, into the cloud, but really succeed there has been our, our kind of core focus for uh, for many years now, over a decade. I think you have a really unique perspective here because of the you know infrastructure side, you know, actually helping companies, you know, non-US, which is helpful, and helping companies actually run infrastructure and be and be part of the story of of cloud. You and I met during the OpenStack heyday. Um, when, when there was this vision of, you know, an alternative, an open alternative where a whole bunch of small providers could collaborate together and become, you know, you know, a community cloud from that perspective. It's not quite how things have been working out, I would say. Where, where do you, just as a thumbnail, you know, so we're, we want to focus on the future. That's what Cloud 2030 is about. It's always helpful for people, though, to sort of ground where you are. What is the... Where, where where is the the cloud to you right now? Well, it's such an exciting and interesting time. I mean, so uh, I've reflected a few times recently. I spent the first uh, ten years of my cloud career explaining or evangelizing or um, you know uh, otherwise trying to advocate for cloud, and really up until a few years ago. You know, folks were still saying it's not secure, it's too expensive, it's this, it's that. And so I think right now what's happened is that, um, especially in this last year, like the final, like, reasons why have sort of melted, why not, 
<laughs> the final reasons why not have melted away. And so that, I think, is notable because uh, having worked with um, cloud since 2005, uh, when S3 uh, popped up as a bit of a curiosity, um, it, it's the first time I can really say that, that, that uh, you know, everyone, everyone believes that cloud is the way to go and everybody wants to not just get to the cloud, but they want to succeed there. And we're getting a lot of, a lot more thoughtful uh, conversations with customers about how does one succeed in cloud. So I, that makes sense to me. Is the cloud though a destination or a way of doing business, right? Which that I mean that to yeah. me, that's one of the struggles to me because I think if if you say the cloud is Amazon or the cloud is a place, then it's like well we're all just going to end up in a provider. Yeah. Um, I I tend to think of it as a new way of computing where we're learning how to use infrastructure, you know, in a much more dynamic way than we have before. I mean, do you, do you share that, that, that sort of feeling on it? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, you know, when you and I first met, I was probably somewhere in the evolutionary kind of stage of realizing that cloud isn't just tech and fun, shiny toys, which is probably where I started. Right. It's like, for, I mean, for me, what captured me and actually still captures me, but I think of it differently was this notion that I could go grab a bunch of storage when I needed it. I could try some stuff and then I could like throw it away or I could get more. Mm. It's sort of like reserving the right to be wrong about what my needs were because it turned out that I was always wrong. I just took me a while to realize how often I was wrong. And, and, and that, and, and then how empowering it is when you realize, Hey, I can be wrong and then I can iterate. I can eventually be right is so powerful. But it originally thought of it as a tech problem mm. and then started to realize that it's, um, it's, it, it, it's an operations problem. And that was still with me with my tech hat on. Probably when you and I met, I was really yeah. sort of focused on the, it's not about building or designing the tech. It's actually about, it's, it's an operating operations model. And, and that shifted uh, then to actually really it's about it's about a business model that's supported by this operating model. And then finally sort of brought me to probably the current state of mind, which is it's really a way it's, it, it, it's a way. Right. It's a it's you know, you could some people would think of this as a culture. That's, uh, you know, those of us who are big fans of the Mandalorian. Right. We'll see it as yeah. like a, a creed or a. A, uh, you know, a, you know, a belief system. But at the end of the day, uh, I do think cloud is a way of delivering value, uh, that is a modern way of delivering value, uh, and is wrapped up in this overall kind of, you know, digital, um, universe we've been racing into. So do you think that that is how mature are we on this curve? So is it is it done? Are we you know three years from being like, hey, this is how cloud is? Is there another thing coming where where we actually you know start really digitizing our lives? Like I feel like we're at baby steps for digitizing our lives. You know, where are we in that in that continuum? Yeah, but well, that's I mean it, it's it's sometimes hard you know it's so hard to pull ourselves out and kind of you know. Uh, have that future vision and then sort of, and that, uh, contextual understanding of our history to really be able to answer that question well. Yeah. Which is what makes it such a great question. I mean, where I think we are from, at least from a cloud perspective, I think 
cloud as a way of doing things is actually pretty mature. Okay. Um, that said, I would I would channel or uh, I would actually uh, quote uh, the great Canadian author, uh, I believe he's Canadian, William Gibson, uh, who said, you know, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Right. So, you know, I, I think what we see in the market is just enormous gaps between those who are <clears throat> doing cloud really well and the rest. And it's almost like a power curve, power law curve, right? So it's like a very, very short tail, right? That is the, um, that are the ones who are just doing exceedingly well <clears throat> in this model. And then you have an enormously long tail, which is that rest of the continuum. Um, and and uh, that's kind of how, how we see the market today. So, I mean, those those types of statements, though, tend to describe inflection point markets. And so, you know, looking on our 2030 conversations um, and, and to we, you and I sort of jumped past this because we, we covered it before the, the, the tape was rolling. Right. You haven't been part of the the regular 2030 cadence of call. So there's things that we've been discussing that I'm going to bring up here and I'm offering to you sort of as fresh, which is which is exactly why I wanted to do this call because you're somebody I trust to have these deep insights and you haven't been sort of, you know, infected with with the struggles that we're having in, in the discussions and I can we can pop them out full fully formed. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, and if and if you're a listener here saying I haven't heard those either you know, we are posting all those recordings and you can go back and, and hear us sort of struggling through. I'm trying to give the, this is the digest version, if you will, with Ian as the guinea pig. Um, but here's here's the dilemma. Because what you just described is, is an inflection point, because we have people who are ahead and we have people who are catching up. And, and what tends to happen in a market like that is either I'm going to ask you for the either ors, um, either people figure out how to do it, it becomes commoditized and they catch up really quickly and that competitive advantage disappears or the advantage becomes a, you know, uh, an insurmountable obstacle in, in catching up and then the IP and the value and the property all become owned by the leaders, right? This idea that there can only be three major clouds because nobody can catch up on the investment is a great, you know, Amazon so far ahead, nobody will ever catch them because they have to buy too many servers is sort of the other side. Um, how do you see that playing out? Do you see that same dynamic? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's, uh, I think what you're referring to is often called like sort of the, the, the winner take all dynamic that we often see in our, uh, you know, in, in the tech world, you get, you know, economies of scale, but you get other, there's other factors that play into it, right? There's, there's data gravity, which is a real, really significant force and certainly in the world of cloud. Um, so there, there's such an, a, a fascinating tug of war happening right now between, um, the, the really big, uh, uh, sort of multinational, uh, you know, uh, hyperscalers. And, uh, you know, kind of all the, all the, all the jurisdictions of the world that the sort of incredible variation that you see if you travel the world and see all the different ways in which people govern themselves and the, all the ways in which people live and all the ways people, you know, uh, build and, and operate. <clears throat> and, uh, it really isn't clear to me, uh, at all. It's never been less clear to me how, how that necessarily <laughs> plays out, um, 
and uh and and I guess what I would say is that uh there's no question in my mind that for the key uh kind of capabilities key platform capabilities that that the hyperscalers have just you know incredible momentum mm-hmm. and and advantages and and frankly those advantages are in many cases passed on um they're passed on to the market and there's there's actually some healthy market dynamics there uh that said uh i think there we're also at a stage where uh folks are realizing how critical um, operations are in a digital world, not only to delivering the key value that you need right now, the key function, the key whatever product you're getting, but that increasingly like the, the, the exhaust of those operations at scale is what's leading to new generations of innovation and IP and capability. And admittedly, I see the world through a bit of an operational lens because, uh, you know, because uh, <laughs> my company is called Cloud Ops and this is what we do. But the, the, you know, one of the things we've seen a lot, for example, as, 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 uh, and we were talking about this earlier, how Canada is great at getting things started. It's great mm-hmm. at the science and the thought leadership. You look at AI, an enormous amount of AI, uh, research, uh, uh was actually, um, generated in Canada. But we're not in a great position as a country to actually operationalize and deliver and, and capitalize on the, on the, um, on those capabilities. And there's a lot of discussion as to why that's the case. Um, and where I get concerned with it is, uh, actually less on the, we're struggling to do this because I think we can figure that out over time, but more on the missed opportunity around, you know, I think once you start to be able to do operate at scale, you generate insight, you generate not just customer insight, you generate insight that comes from operations and which is an enormous amount of data, the data exhaust. And that actually is, is part of that virtuous feedback loop that allows for that continued momentum growth and success. And so that flywheel is definitely something which, uh, you know, back to your, your question is it's not clear how, New entrants can come in and, and get get uh, become competitive at that scale. And I think the counterbalancing force just remains in the uniqueness of the jurisdictions and maybe the increasing realization that you know uh, all of a sudden folks care about supply chains. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, people care about the interdependencies between jurisdictions. And so I think there is an opportunity right now. If I think of the open computing movement that we were, that we are still part of, uh, and, and, and our journey through that, certainly for me, the journey has been a lot of that work we did back in the open stack days, uh, the heyday, as you said, is, is really focused around, uh, the opportunity around edge computing and, uh, the ability to build these capabilities out there in the regions and out, out in the field uh, around a whole diversity of industries um, that is, is, is really, really exciting. And I think the tension that we're seeing right now is that the hyperscalers are very clearly targeting all the way to the edge. Um, and so, you know, how does that sort out really unclear to me right now? I'm sure it's come up in the 2030 calls, um, but uh, I, I, I'm not sure I feel super... Uh, 
conformed right now to how it's playing out. Yeah, what what you're what you're describing is something that I I I personally see a fair bit of hand wringing about, and I think is part of the story that um, we have to think through. So the the challenge that we get into with this is um, that you know there's a concern that exactly what you're talking about this exhaust data this inherent advantage to scale is an intractable intractable problem, and we hit this all the time where you know with the sassification of business that the IP and the operating tools for running your life are going to be owned by somebody else and you're going to rent it. Um, and, and we see that as, from a societal perspective, both amazing, low cost to entry, and terrifying. Because all of a sudden, you know, if you want to plant, you know, farmers, you know, nowadays have to lease their field, their, their seeds, because they, they can't own them because they're not, they're genetically modified, right? So you, you can't even own that, that, you know, that just blows my mind. But we're all now renting the seeds to whatever our, our business life is. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of a becoming this, this whole go-to-market, right? You were describing a business model that has been empowered by cloud. And that business model is, you know, uh, you know all CapEx, all OpEx. Um, and I think at, in the 2030 groups, we see this coming wave. And we see it as scary and irresistible, which makes it only only a little bit only a little bit scary. And then you look or more scary. Um, and this is one of the things that we struggle with: is this sort of you know uh, uh, balance of you know okay, I don't want to have to pay for everything. And then I think in the last couple of weeks in the U.S., we saw what happens when all of your data is being monetized by somebody else and fed back to you um, in, a, in a cycle from that perspective. And all these free services yeah. that we get, you know, there is a price that you pay. You just, it's not, you don't realize who's monetizing that information. So, you know, and, and the purpose, and actually this comes back to why did we start Cloud 2030? We started Cloud 2030 because it feels like there's inflection points. And that if we, we tease those apart, we can we can think about about what they are, and and sort of push into it. Um, I would go back to ops to to you. You and I are both very operationally minded. One of the things I feel like um, was a problem in OpenStack, and is still a problem, is that we have decided it's too hard to operate things, and. Yeah. We're just going to get the sassification of the world says, this is too hard. I'm going to give that up instead of making it easier and, and make it more accessible to operate. What we're doing is we're making it harder. It was if somebody took all the cars and made cars intentionally harder to drive so that you could only get, you had to be a licensed, it's like a London cabbie. Um, and, and said, all right, no more cars. We're only going to have trained drivers again. Um, that's how I feel like we've we've moved with, we're moving with cloud. Is do you feel like that's the, the direction things have sort of been going from that perspective? 
Yeah, I think that's that's definitely the trend. I mean, that it's well captured, certainly in the case of cars. I think we're probably heading that direction. We're going to have cars that are harder and harder to take apart and maintain. Impossible. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and, and you know, obviously the cars are heading towards even driving themselves, uh, you know, with proprietary algorithms. So, you know, this is absolutely the overwhelming trend. Uh, that said, I think there is a... Um, there is a, uh, a sort of a minor almost backflow uh, that's happening right now where you do have quite a lot of work happening around how can around these problems that you were talking about. It's like, well, how can we make this easier to operate uh, on our own terms? And why is that happening? Well, I think it's happening because like, if I think of like most of the situations that we're in around adopting cloud, usually there's a conversation about, differentiated versus undifferentiated heavy lifting for your business. So Rob, if you have a business, one of the things where I want to tease apart is what are the things that you need to do to be able to operate and deliver on your value proposition, but they're not part of what makes you special. So you can just do them in the same way that other people do them. And that's what we think. That's why we call it undifferentiated, right? And in that case, usually what's most important is that you're able to choose a way to do those undifferentiated things that is like gets it, gets the risk and the operational, like, uh, you know, gets the hassle out of the way. So SaaS, for example, is a great way to do it. But from a risk management standpoint, you also have to make sure like just because it's undifferentiated doesn't mean you don't have to have a backup plan or you don't have to have a, a, some kind of way of mitigating that risk. In other words, you do have to think about, well, what if I can no longer do it? with my chosen path. And, and so different organizations of different sizes are going to have more or less sophisticated ways of doing that risk mitigation. Where I think things get really interesting is the differentiated heavy lifting co- uh, conversation. So okay. um, if, if I think of anyone who's done a great job of like exposing within a business strategy, is your differentiated heavy lifting? It's Simon Wardley with his Wardley mapping. I think does a really great way of contextually understanding your, you know, where you are and where you're going and where all the pieces of the value chain are going and really, you know, uh, surfaces it. I recommend it to anyone as an amazing exercise. Um, So, but worldly mapping aside, you know, that differentiated heavy lifting is where we sometimes find out that, uh, you know, this is something that even if, there's a global pandemic I still need to be able to do. And it's been thrown into sharp relief around supply chains, for example. One of the things we realize in Canada is we no longer have the capacity to actually produce vaccines. Oh, and we're like, hey, well, who, who, who forgot about this one? We used to. Right. We no longer have it. Why did that happen? Was that an intentional decision around what are the capabilities that we really need to have as a country? I don't think so. It's something that's just kind of like, hey, it's expensive. Hey, it didn't get funding. Hey, you know. So the core thing and other this, country, this friendly no, countries. I think help where us. most of the interesting conversations are is around identifying differentiated heavy lifting, which usually provides that just cause, that why we need to do something. Why do I need to be able to hmm. build uh, edge compute on my own terms where I can actually uh, build, maintain, and um, and even enhance the technology that's being used. Well, I don't know. It depends. 
maybe maybe I operate farms and my thing is is I have actually I'm building a way a system of doing farming that's highly automated and requires a lot of uh, of, of edge technology and maybe there's a reason I don't want to be dependent upon for a key aspect of my value chain maybe there's a reason I don't want to be dependent on some uh, multinational company um, and mm-hmm. and and I think that is and then the question then becomes back to your point is like who even has enough scale or capability to make that decision and follow through successfully on building their own piece and that's a whole other that's a whole other issue but I do think that the for me where I'm looking in 20 21 yeah. towards 2030. <laughs> it's around that question of differentiation. Um, but I don't know what the answer is. So when you say differentiation, and, and I hear this a lot, and, and I, I, I can't decide if I'm horrified or in agreement, right? You don't want to do things that aren't value add, right, to your business, right? Take the cream, of, take the cream not the milk, not the rest of the milk. Um, and I see that used a lot as justification to give up expertise. You know, oh, nobody's going to run a data center better than Amazon. I should stop learn, stop building that expertise and go, you know, just just give it give it all up, give up that expertise. Um, and and it's a very compelling argument, right? Your vaccine your your vaccine is, example is a good one. It's like, oh, we've got all the scientists who know how to create the vaccines and figure out the DNA sequencing, but the manufacturing stuff that's not differentiated. Ship it out, right? India, I found out just you know over the weekend, India makes like 80% of the vaccines in the world, and they're actually shipping half of their production out of India because they're the global supplier. Um, and it's interesting to me that instead of uh, a couple of years ago, 10 years, if somebody had asked me in 2020, 20, in 2010, what 2020 was going to look like, I would have expected we were going to have assembly lines of 3D printers and, and manufacturing would have come back on shore. Um, because we, we were expecting this revolution mm-hmm. of you know modular manufacturing with generic tools and things like that. Um, you know, and in, in 2020, 2020, looking at 2030 from an IT perspective, Right now, it doesn't look like that at all. It looks like we're going to go into these hyper-focused people who, who do ops and only do ops and, and give up the manufacturing. But the, the global sk- uh, systems right now are saying, you know what, we actually need to keep the skills. We need to keep the crafts. We need to be able to do these things ourselves. Um, and so I, I do this. Part of the whole reason for 2030 is scratching our heads and saying, what's the consequence if we don't understand how this stuff is, is built? And there's a separate problem to me, which is we're not investing in making it easier to do from that perspective. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so that, I mean, this is, I think, this is the problem of our time is, is the, um, and, and, and again, I think there's, there's a lot to be learned from those, those uh, supply chain dependencies. And there may be reasons, for example, why, we need to invest in certain capabilities, even if it is going to be harder and we're, it's, we're going to move slower and it's going to cost us more. There may be reasons why we have to do that. I mean, the, being caught out with a lack of manufacturing capacity in a crisis, right, in a global crisis, is probably 
you know, it's a cost that wasn't factored in to the overall cost of manufacturing ah. argument. And this, and this happens time and time again. And we saw this in the early days of like outsourcing software development. Uh, you know, so you, you'd make a decision based upon the kind of cost, a, a model, unit, a unit economics, model, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then it would, it would fail to factor in like some, some really important, you know, other factors. And, and I think, I think I'm not sure, like maybe to go to your data center analogy, right? It's like Amazon's going to be the best at doing data centers that are, support what Amazon does. But they're not going to be the best at doing all data centers. We're still going to need data centers. And I think that is, um, uh, and I believe that as I believe that when, you know, we had, you know, Alistair Kroll had the be it resolved that, you know, uh, that uh, basically public cloud would own 100% of the market at some point in the future. That that was the, the reductio ad absurdum of of cloud is that it just takes over everything and you no longer have any, no, nobody has their own infrastructure anymore. Right. I didn't believe that that would be the case, even as being a cloud advocate, I never believed that would be the case. I always felt that there would be a, um, a, a, a mixture. I always felt that there would be a balance. And I think the, the more sophisticated argument is, well, where is that balance going <laughs> to, and is, is it really balanced or is it like sort of, you know, sw- the pendulum swinging uh, to to an extreme? Mm. And and I think that's what, you know, makes makes us a bit nervous, because if you swing too far and I think I, I sense that this is a little bit behind some of your concerns and some of the, the community's concerns, you swing too far in one direction, you might lose the capability. And I think that's what we've seen around whether it's the uh, the U.S. manufacturing conversation. I mean, I'm in Canada, so I. I I'm not an expert on that conversation, but or whether it's software uh, development or or whatnot, I think there is a, a you know the, if you follow the trend too far, you do have the potential to compromise your ability to back in the other direction. Right. And 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 I, I think that is um, something we need to be eyes wide open for for sure. The the thing that's interesting to me is not only do you compromise your ability you stop asking the vendors to provide it. And so what what we what we see happening right now is and this this is right what happened in the in in sort of you know I'm, I'm using US manufacturing writ large but you know we we gave up the whole market and and vendors who could provide you know it's not just oh I, I don't produce you know shirts in my my country anymore. I don't have people who produce machines to produce shirts anymore because they're all now being sold somewhere else. And so all, you know, it's, it's a, it's a layer set of supply chains. So the idea that I could go, you know, I'm, I'm demanding Dell, HP, Cisco, Lenovo, Supermicro, whoever builds servers that are easier to operate, you know, no, nah, why would they invest there? And, and so you've, you've got a spiral challenge that I, I think part of what 2030 we're looking at is either that's amazing and we're never going to have to worry about it and everything's moved to the cloud or, Wait a second. Things are going to pull back because we've commodified operations, and edge is coming, and there is a need to have you know local you know close proximity infrastructure. Um, but at, at the current trend line, 2030 would tell me that that's going to be owned by, you know, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, maybe the phone companies if they can get out of their own way. Um, not. 
it, and that's uh, it's going to be efficient. I would I would guess. I guess some of some of my concerns on this is that efficient using efficiency as the best measure. Um, and this is one of the things that's been really hard to pull back in 2030 and talk about the societal impacts. If you always drive to efficiency, then you end up with you know mega corporations that drive towards efficiencies. Governments like aren't particularly efficient because they deal with people. People aren't particularly efficient, um, and so it's it's always it's always been a struggle to me on. You know what our what our ultimate measure of success is most cost effective most efficient are we tell ourselves are really important but slowing down and building the tech you know maybe you know I, I just don't know how we slow down yeah so I mean th there is a you know th there is an economic efficiency uh, question to me that is really interesting in what you highlight right so if we're if we're so Efficient in our operations that, you know, we're, and, 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 and frankly, I think rightly identify that sort of, you know, building my own in-house CRM is probably not the best use of my, my time and resources, right? I'm going to end up using a SaaS tool. Now, one of the interesting things about SaaS tools, I think there, there's a, there's a bit of a commoditization myth around cloud computing that I saw pop up in the early days of cloud computing where the analysts were all saying, you remember this? It's a race to the bottom. Uh, you know, Amazon's insane to be doing this AWS model. I mean, that was like the first five years of my cloud career was trying to argue against analysts who were all saying, like, you, anyone would be insane to do this stuff. And now, finally, people have realized it's actually the opposite of insane. It's absolutely, you know, the, the, one of the cleverest, you know, uh, you know games in town. Yeah. Right. And, 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 you know, and I think what's interesting to me is not just the, it's not just the market capture potential of these business models, but it is the margin capture. So, you know, you, one of the things we haven't seen yet is the economic efficiency from true competition, uh, be passed on you know, to the market uh, yet. And I think that's partly because the market is really inefficient operationally okay. so that so that a high price per X still, you know, even if I can buy it myself at, you know, one-tenth that price, the fact is I'm so bad at taking advantage of it on my own terms that, uh, and I can't find the talent, I can't find the skin, I can't, whatever, I'm just, I'm just going to pay that price. The question I think comes down to, and this is hmm. someone who's, you know, uh, uh, quite comfortable with relying on cloud services, um, is, you know, is really one that to me is more about sort of the future and, and destiny, right? It's like, if I make this decision now, you know, what's the likelihood that in 10 years, in 20 years, right, I'm, I'm basically continuing to pay the toll booth on this roadway that was not that is was was built and you know sponsored by a private corporation as opposed to built with our tax dollars right and i'm not suggesting that government should be building cloud i, I you know to your point you know it's, they're not exactly the most efficient you know game in town i don't think taxpayers will get good value for their money there either 
but the way I sort of think of it is like we we could end up in a in a world where, you know, a you know, look, I'm up in Canada, right? So it could be that we are unable to build any of our own infrastructure for digital world, and all we are going to do is pay rent in perpetuity. So my question is: Is that rent going to be an efficient rent or an inefficient rent? Right? Is there going to be the ability? Is there going to be the ability for um, a better value for dollar, or is the entrenched positions? And this is a typical. This is a common problem in real estate. Yeah. Common problem in real estate is like you you are in a realist, and I think of it in a similar sense. Is like you you own this this plot of land, you own this building. So you, you, you can charge what the market will bear. Right. And because it's real estate, there's limited, um, you know, the, the dynamics are a little bit different in this sense, but you have the ability to continue to not have to compete in a commodity race to the bottom war, which to me, I found interesting is that, is that how is it that the analysts got that so wrong? That, that there was going to be so much competition at such great scale, right? That, you know, at the end of the day, we wouldn't be worried at all about, look, uh-huh. my cost is going to drop over time. I'm never going to really have to worry about it. Yes, I'm going to pay rent in perpetuity, but that's going to be far greater than me trying to do it myself, this- which in many cases I think is already the case. I, in many, many cases, like I, I don't Mm-mm. typically try to build my own object storage. For every project. <laughs> well, but right? but to me, this is this is the difference between hardware and software, right? I I right. I think that you know the idea that you you wouldn't write it yourself, you wouldn't build it yourself. There was a day when you might have installed your own object storage. The the thing that you said that that I keep coming back to in my mind is is there a turning point where the major cloud providers, and we keep singling out Amazon just because they're the biggest, but the major cloud providers stop charging you per unit, per widget of work. Cause really they're selling building blocks. And, and if you are a, you know, and maybe we saw a turning point with something, some of the things that happened with parlor, um, which they, they shut down because there was violence in that platform. But today they haven't differentiated any of their customers necessarily based on use case. So they're not charging you more for a server because you are something that that competes with them versus doesn't compete with them or that they like versus they don't like. It's all right. It's 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 commodity pricing from their perspective. And and that I think has been a hugely powerful thing. And so far that's that's been the way it works. Um, And I think the market would abhor if they didn't do that treat it that way um and so that becomes right there you know there's always the story of yeah they saw a cool idea they competed with it they put it out of business because they could do it more effectively um but at the end of the day they're not charging they're not driving them out of business by picking on somebody they compete with and charging them more um yeah i think that's that's a fair point and i don't and i don't see that that changing it's been amazingly powerful to have the access. And part of the story here is the, the demand, and I think you go back to what the analysts missed, the demand for compute and AI and machine learning and data storage and, and bandwidth has only gone up. And a big big part of the story of cloud is not 
that they were better at it, they were faster at it, and they were lower friction at it. And what, what was happening 10 years ago was that companies were in the, getting in the way of their own in, internal innovation cycles. And people would go to the cloud and bypass resource limitations. Um, and I think looking forward, there is not, that's not going to change. It's only going to get more accelerated. Um, and this ends up being one. Of, and, and what I want to do is we need to wrap up because we're go, we're starting to go long. And um, I want to get your sort of your tenure impression on this. If 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 we're going into edge, and edge is going to be an acceleration of demand for computation. Does you know does that only push us faster and faster into these hyperscalers who can buy more and more compute faster and build things faster than um, you know, sort of, oh, I have to buy and order servers and set them up and, and scale. That that seems like we're yeah, just going to double down. Question. Yeah. Look, it's such, it's such a good question, and I, I, I will, you know, I will likely be wrong about this, like like I have been about many, you know, I think that's how we started the conversation today, right? Is like, w why did I like cloud? Is because I'd realized I was so often wrong about how much I needed, and cloud allowed that agility, right? Um, which you just referred to. And I, I think that is, you know, th that is a key point. Um, I, yeah, what, we're still building object storage where it makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. So we're, we're still on, uh, you know, I get to be involved in both how the cloud is consumed and how the cloud is built. And I, I feel very lucky to see it from both of those angles. I do think there's some convergence happening. I want to pick on something you said, which is that difference between hardware and software, I think is really key here, right? Because if you look at where the different hyperscalers are coming from, they're all coming from different directions, right? Amazon did build from the ground up, from the boring commodity servers, as you say. And But, but they are absolutely working their way northbound into the software, and they are offering more and more platform and actually more and more industry specific solutions. So even though that server, they don't sell at a different price to different industries, they are now starting to sell industrial specific solutions. They're working their way up their stack because it just makes sense. It's what the customer wants. It's what the customer is willing to pay a much higher margin for. Right. So, um, so that's, that is an, that, that is an irrefutable trend in my view. And I think that if you look at, where you know Microsoft and Google are coming from, they're coming from much more of a software centric and working their way down <laughs> to hmm. to delivering infrastructure, uh, right? So early uh, you know early Google Cloud was just was like app, was App Engine. It was more PaaS. It was yeah, you know Microsoft too. Turns out everybody's now realized you need infrastructure. You know that doesn't surprise you and I. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you somewhere under the covers you need infrastructure. So I think I think. My sense of what's happening is that we, yes, we could we end up in a world where it's just like winner take all everything, but so we could, but I think there there is a natural and healthy tension between the hyperscalers that will keep the market somewhat uh, interesting. Uh, there is, um, you know, in, in in a sense, when I say interesting, it's it's both good. But it's also bad because the enterprise customers I work with, they don't choose the cloud. The cloud chooses them. That's, that's something that's changed. It's like 
they still think that their architects and their procurement can go be like, yeah, we're going to select this cloud provider. But what's actually happening is that their lines of business and all the people in their organization are buying cloud from all the clouds and they end up with all the clouds. Yeah. Right. And, and so that is a huge dynamic that has shifted. And when we go into an enterprise to help them out, we just assume that's already happened. They might tell us, Oh yeah, Azure is our cloud. It's like, okay, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Azure is what you think is your key cloud. But when we actually look at things, you you have all the clouds. Everybody has all the clouds. And so it's a, it's a good and a bad thing. It's a good thing because I think it is makes it for a healthy market in some senses. It's a bad thing because paradox of choice, complexity, bewildering, everybody charges different business models. So it's a problem for customers as well. Yeah. But where I'm going with that is that where I see the clouds continuing to go is up the stack into software. Are they going to... They're going to try to sell all the bits and, and pieces of hardware? Sure. But I actually think we could end up in a world where increasingly we're delivering hardware in a very particular, let, let's say, in a farm, right? I might go buy commodity infrastructure from a supply chain that is a very competitive one, right? And maybe it's from Supermicro, or maybe I have to build it myself because I'm building custom you know, maybe this uh, Raspberry Pi is assembled by middle schoolers for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe I'm using your software to help, uh, you know, bootstrap it and, and, and operationalize it. I hope so. But what is what is almost certainly going to happen, Rob, is I will be bringing the cloud over the top, and and the cloud as software that is, uh, you know, control plane in the sky. Uh-huh. Because what is really hard, what is really hard, much harder than buying and building your own infrastructure is actually going and getting all of the functions and all the capabilities and building them yourself. Yeah, no. It's, so increasingly, I think the way we look at it, especially in like an industrial use case, is like we're going to be getting these uh, kind of raw machines, right, which, are, which are able to run all kinds of stuff. Uh-huh. And then we're going to be terraforming them, not in the HashiCorp sense, but in the like making them available for stuff to happen. Mm-hmm. And then our job is to actually, the really key part is, is kind of an orchestration that helps us go and grab the capabilities from the cloud that we need when we need them and either execute them locally, like more of a kind of a, like a, like a green grass kind of situation or mm-hmm. run it in the cloud and have that optionality. And so my note of optimism, I think in all this would be that, I suspect we are going to continue to head into an even more complex universe. I think the cloud is going to look much more like a like a biological ecosystem than it does a technological ecosystem. And I think we're going to have all the things, and that's going to be painful for some folks, but it's going to be huge opportunity for creativity at the same time. And and again, mm-hmm. I I my as a technologist. My hope is that I can still go get the bits and pieces that I need, the Lego blocks, and I can go get them not from a hyperscaler, but that I can reserve the right to go and grab the functions and capabilities that the hyperscaler might afford and be able to execute them where I choose based upon what I think is doing the right thing and reserving the right to change what I believe is doing the right thing. So I think that's the way I think about it today. But let's just say it's an evolving uh, target and uh, 
and I'm probably wrong. I, I, I like I like what you're saying. They're they're echoes of what we've been talking about in Cloud 2030. Um, and just to put a bow on it and, and sort of close us out here, is complexity is increasing dramatically. Um, you added some interesting spice here in that the idea that Amazon, Microsoft, or Google becoming software companies and all of a sudden needing to run their software on non you know, not on their own infrastructure. Um, and that's going to be an interesting conundrum to watch because you're right, the higher margin pieces for them means Amazon writes software that works on Microsoft and works on. And, and that, that has crushed many a company before um, as they try to do that. So there, there are some interesting things that you've surfaced, I think, that are themes from 2030, but I, I like the way you've sort of pulled it together. So, Ian, I appreciate the time today. It's been amazing to have you as a guest. Always good to catch up. I think you've been on the show in the latest Shiny Days a couple of years ago now. So thank you for coming back again. And where can people find you? Uh, well, it's great to be back, Rob. Always enjoy our conversations uh, and miss meeting out out at the conferences. Yeah. People can find me on Twitter, uh, Ian Ray, at Ian Ray, I-A-N-R-A-E, or, or LinkedIn. I'm very active. And, um, yeah, out in the clouds, I think, is the easy way to answer that one. Excellent. Great to see you, Rob. 